views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from running your life? Join award-winning author Dr. Friedemann Schaub from Empowerment Radio as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools and approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. This is the time to empower yourself. Now, here's your host, Dr. Friedemann Schaub. Welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman. And today, we have a very exciting show. And it is about, I think, one of the most important and also probably most fulfilling and challenging topics in life, which is relationship, love, marriage, dating, everything that is about connecting to someone that you want to spend ideally a lifetime with. Now, a lot of my clients feel challenged in that regard. They feel that they are diminished by their partners, that they had all these hopes that happened you know, during the dating time and then they spent uh, an quite a substantial amount of money on their wedding and felt like the princess or the prince and the fairy tale could begin. Now, after a little while, they found out that, well, maybe they actually did marry a frog and not their prince. And they find out that things that they were overlooking all of a sudden are on the surface. They found out that their stuff is coming to the surface. Whatever they had been not really fully dealing with is now full on in the relationship. And so the relationship becomes more like a battlefield, a battlefield of power, of control, a battlefield of wanting to be right, a battlefield of wanting to make the partner be different. You promised me to be the way I want you to be. Why are you not this way? And so lo and behold, there settles in a, yeah, a standoff. A feeling of, I'm going to go into my corner, you're going to go into your corner, and then we'll see what's going to happen. And unfortunately, often nothing happens because most of us don't really know how do we reconnect? How do we really rebuild a relationship? How do we fight in a way that actually something positive comes out of it? How do we relate to each other in the first place? Because isn't it really challenging to have a person share your life with? Isn't it really challenging to learn to accept someone and feel that you are also, you know, in many ways continuing to discover who that person is, just like that person will continuously discover 
who you are. Now, one of the things that I find so, I think, very, yeah, important to mention about relationships is how we are approaching the other person, whether we are approaching our partner from a place of generosity and kindness or whether we are approaching a partner more as someone we have to defend ourselves from where we go more often in fight and flight than we are just open and relaxed. How we can be ourselves with someone, authentic, and still also embrace that person for their authenticity. Now, these are all wonderful concepts, but what are the concrete steps? How do we get there? What do we need to do? And I know Many people will have questions in this regard, so please send them in on the chat box on Transformation Talk Radio because we have the expert today on the show, a person who knows a lot about relationships, who has written fabulous books about it, and one of them is Wired for Love, a complete insider's guide to understanding your partner's brain and enjoying a romantic relationship built on love and trust. And this man is Dr. Stan Tatkin. And without further ado, I would love to bring you on, Stan. And thank you so much. I know you have a busy day in your practice. Thank you so much for, for joining me here. Thank you, Friedemann. Thank you so much. Now, I, I have to ask you, how did you become even an expert in, in relationships and in dating and love have you always been good at that or is that something you just figured out along the way? And uh, what is what is your relationship like? Oh, my God. I, I, you know, I look back at all the dead soldiers, all the people that I disappointed, all the terrible relationships, uh, things that I've done in past relationships. So don't look to me as the icon or the the, <laughs> the epitome <laughs> of an expert with my own relationships, um, save uh, for maybe my last one, my most recent one. Um, who is my wife. So I, I am proud of that relationship. <laughs> but the rest of it is actually as a clinician and researcher. But have you practiced also what you are writing in your books in your relationship? And uh, have you found that this is also something that kept your relationship growing and thriving? Absolutely. Um, I would say that I learned uh, uh, a lot also from my wife, Tracy, um, uh, in terms of how to have a secure functioning relationship. But I'm reminded often uh, when I'm at home with my daughter or my, my wife, um, you know, do you really want to be doing uh, what you're doing uh, uh, since you're teaching this stuff? Um, <laughs> I'm kept uh-huh. in line quite often, uh, at, you know, <laughs> at, at home and as I keep my wife in line too, cause we're, we both believe in, uh, the, the idea of secure functioning. Um, and we're part of a, a larger group. We've been a part of a larger group who believes the same thing, Harville Hendricks and John Gottman and Sue Johnson and, uh, Dan Siegel and, and a lot of others, um, uh, uh, we served on a board that uh, called relationships first, that believes basically in, uh, in the same thing, uh, mm-hmm. that we need to shift the culture uh, back uh, towards more of a we than a me or an I, uh, because uh, you know, we, we've, we have the Statue of Liberty, we don't have the Statue of Responsibility, as, uh, as someone famous once said. Mm. And so when you say from me to we, 
this is only about couples or do you feel this in general in our society we need to shift out of being more self-centered to being maybe more we-centered? I think it's in the culture. I don't think it's just uh, uh, between partners. Mm. But, uh, but a couple is the smallest unit of a society. And whether people uh, think of it or not, they do operate on principles of some kind of social justice. Either it's unjust, unfair, insensitive, or uh, in terms of secure functioning, it's the opposite. Fair, just, and sensitive, and fully cooperative and collaborative. And, uh, and that, that is a problem uh, present day in our culture, I think. Now, would you say that one of the key problems in a relationship is that we enter into the relationship not really having a good relationship with ourselves? And so we are hoping to maybe even fix that through the person we are with, and that puts a lot of pressure on the relationship. Well, that's a really interesting uh, question because uh, self-other is uh, is a, a big issue uh, when people cite ideas about you can't love yourself, uh, you can't mm -hmm. love another person until you love yourself, you can't n uh, know another person until you know yourself. And and actually, developmentally, we know that's not true. Um, uh, it it starts off with self-other. Everything is about self-other. Everything is about interaction. Who we are is is constantly in flux and being molded by our interaction uh, interactions with others, um, our self-esteem, um, our even our perceptions. And so, uh, the the idea of being good with yourself is a notion that uh, is only um, possible in connection with interaction, connection with self-other. Mm -hmm. So we were hurt by people, we're healed by people. Um, I, I don't think this is the kind of thing that you can learn in a cave or a book or a workshop. Um, I uh, you know, uh, came from a, a, an earlier tradition of um, meditation and uh, Theravadan uh, tradition of Vipassana. And all the, the experts that I knew, the, the people who were teaching and were, uh, uh, you know, who, cl who claimed enlightenment, um, uh, were humbled as soon as they got into a love relationship. <laughs> they may have right. done very well in a monastery, but as soon as they got into a love relationship, they were as inept as a 14-year-old and or 12 or maybe younger because there is nothing more difficult than another person. And right. uh, that's something we have to reckon with. And by far the most difficult relationship on the planet is the adult love or romantic relationship. That one is the hardest because of all the history that it, uh, it involves. Now, but you make it sound like as if it's not necessary to really work on yourself before you go into the relationship because you can do it all in the relationship. Is that what you mean? Well, before we had therapists, um, people did uh, do things in relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, our earliest relationship, that's not, uh, uh, you know, a baby doesn't go to a therapist. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the baby is being found by the caregiver. Um, and that, of course, determines, is, is determined by 
uh, the caregiver's resourcefulness and resources and ability to find the baby's mind and all sorts of things. Um, we go to therapy when we're having trouble sometimes. Some people go to therapy because they like it. Most people go because they feel they have to. And those relationships can be reparative for sure, just like love relationships can. Although love relationships are, are much more powerful um, in terms of changing trajectory, um, either for the better or for the worse. Mm-hmm. And so... So knowing oneself is, is a um, is a very interesting idea because um, uh, neurobiologically, if you and I were standing up close to each other, face to face, eye to eye, you could see what's going on in me before I know it. I can see what's going on in you before you know it. And there's a reason why nature is sort of wired us this way. Um, we know that war is something that starts from uh, further distance, but uh, but love is actually up close. And do I really know myself uh, by myself or do I know myself um, that way and through you? I think, you know, uh, I, I think uh, one without the other isn't um, maybe isn't the, the answer. Maybe both have to right. be there. Right. I agree. No, I mean, one of the challenges I often hear from my clients uh, is the challenge of projection where yeah. you know this is not your partner's fault, but you react because you see in your partner your mother or your father or anything like that. So if you at least have an awareness that you're projecting, doesn't that also then avoid maybe conflict that is unnecessary? Well, that certainly helps, especially with people with higher complexity. But um, the, the love relationship is a projective system by nature. There's no getting around that. It's all mm-hmm. based on memory. And when you, when you and I, let's say, get into a primary attachment relationship, we become deep family proxies, really, for everyone and everything that came before. And it's not that you're reminding me of my mother or my father. Um, you're reminding me of how I felt uh, in in any situation where I was either hurt or felt injured um, or afraid. And so I, that's being recalled in the moment. And real time is really too fast. I mean, it's lightning speed. And therefore, we really don't know what we're doing or why we're doing anything at the moment at any given time. That means we have to make things up. And that's what's happening in the dyad. Um, uh, we're cueing each other uh, so quickly with uh, our faces, our voices, our, our gestures, our movements, uh, things that actually uh, are benign but can be perceived as threatening by the other partner, again, because of memory. And right. then that partner reacts um, and doesn't realize they're projecting because that's too, it's too fast. And then the other person reacts to the person's uh, uh, face and body and so on. And now we're off to the races because um, – and here's another thing, Friedman, is that Partners always choose each other based on recognition and familiarity. So mm. the chances of them triggering each other is 100%. So this is a natural phenomenon. This is not personality or psychological issues or pathology. This is a, a nervous system issue of recognition, um, subcortical issue of recognition. And it is part of the, uh, part of the human condition. Um, a lot of people right. just don't understand that, yeah. And this has a lot to do, of course, with the subconscious mind, which I think uh, you know you just described so nicely with consciously we cannot really understand what happens, but we are reacting. Anyhow, well, we're going to have a quick break. After the break, I would love to talk about secure functioning, what that means, sure. and also how can we fight in a productive way. We will okay. be right back.
Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from running your life? Join award-winning author Dr. Friedemann Schaub for Empowerment Radio and learn breakthrough solutions to switch out of survival mode and approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. Tune in the first and third Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific to Empowerment Radio with host Dr. Friedemann Schaub on Transformation Talk Radio. Visit thefearandanxietysolution.com to learn more. Known for his keen sense of humor, contagious smile, and extensive esoteric wisdom, EJ translates deep spiritual wisdom into practical advice to empower you to live your happiest, most fulfilled experience. Mystic Living Radio, Deep Spiritual Wisdom, Practical Advice with EJ, Eliyahu Jian. This hit show delivers profound experiences for all who want to live life to their deepest desires. Tune in monthly for Mystic Living Radio. Learn more by visiting vitaltransformation.org. How would you like increased health and vitality? How would you like to avoid the onset of disease as well as slow the aging process? This is all possible through a simple, safe, and natural process. Every day, we are either moving toward wellness or away from wellness. Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. I'd like to be your partner in achieving optimal health. Contact me now at MaryJaneMack.com or call 425-392-0659. Visit MaryJaneMack.com. Hi, this is Laura Richer, host of On The Verge Radio. Sometimes you hear encouraging messages like transform your life now, become empowered, create the life you crave, and it all seems overwhelming and you're not sure where to start. I'm here to tell you that self-improvement is not always fun and easy, but it is always worth it. The path to creating positive changes begins with releasing the things that have been holding you back. Then you can create a life that inspires you. I know this because I've done it. You can find out more about what I do by visiting my website, seattlehealinghypnosis.com. I look forward to supporting you on your journey. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. We talk about love and relationship with Dr. Stan Tetkin. And uh, if you have any questions, you can also call in at 888-418-6890. Again, this is 888-418-6890. And uh, Dr. Tetkin has also written a book about dating and Wired for Dating, I believe it's called. And uh, it's something also that anyone who is, you know, maybe a perpetual dater and feels like confused about the lack of success should have in their hands to really get more insights and understanding also on a very scientific level of what's really going on and maybe what's going wrong. But you mentioned before, Stan, that uh, secure functioning relationship is one of the the key pieces of your work now what does that actually mean well it, it other than um it, it's separate from secure attachment even though we focus on attachment and theory um uh, and particularly infant attachment but secure functioning is different secure functioning uh, assumes that uh, the partners can be uh insecure they can uh uh, be unlikable. They can be, you know, uh, anything they uh, they are. Uh, you know, they don't have to change. But they enter into an agreement with another person, much like cop car partners. Um, you know, they get together. Cop car partners are put together. They don't necessarily like each other. They come from different backgrounds. 
but they're organized around one thing. They're inter interdependent based on the need to survive. And mm. so they, uh, because they have to survive together, they learn each other. They know each other sometimes better than they know their spouses. They're the first to tell each other things. They have each other's backs. They're in the foxhole together. And what actually keeps them this way and allows them to flourish as, uh, as uh, devoted people to each other is this common interest. Mm -hmm. And that is we survive together or we don't. And this is the same thing in the military and special forces. Um, the culture demands that you, uh, you understand that your life depends on the person next to you. And this uh, changes things. Um, in other cultures and other places where people are faced with dangers, real dangers, they understand that they, uh, that they either band together and they uh, work together or they will fall. Now, I think coupling is really uh, based on the same thing, but people don't realize it. It's not a luxury necessarily. It's a necessity. And that two people engage in this way for lots of reasons. One, to have children. The other is because they love each other and they have certain interests. But there should be a more fundamental reason. And that is that these two people are, are entering into a social contract whereby they agree that there are certain principles that without those principles, they would perish or they would hurt each other or they would be hurt by the outside environment. And so though they disagree about a lot of things, they can agree that they should be in the foxhole together, that they should uh, operate as generals and not soldiers, that they should be the top of the food chain, that they should rely on each other, depend on each other and trust each other unequivocally. Mm -hmm. That is gold um, in a world that actually doesn't care these two people are doing things for each other that nobody wants to do unless they get paid a lot of money. And so they take each other on as, uh, as burdens, full burdens, and that's the quid pro quo. So secure functioning is basically being an adult and realizing that there is just good enough, there is loss, and that you have to learn how to collaborate and cooperate and bargain with another partner and that that relationship has to be based on good for me, good for you, or it won't work. And it also uh, takes into account the psychobiology that when two people are this close, they are they start to actually wire together. So where one person goes, so goes the other. And we don't have that in our culture, um, uh, uh, educating people on the realities of pair bonding and what that could mean on a greater level than just simply romantic love. Now, when you said, um, you know, it's basically being together in the foxhole, does that, uh, you know, when you, when you think about why relationships end, is that because they don't see necessarily that they have this contract of being there for each other and, uh, and trusting each other? Or is it often that they feel like there is something better out there? I'm not really feeling it i'm not attracted to i mean what what do you see is the most reason, common reason why relationships will not work out well there are so many reasons as you probably know sure uh, i think i think that uh, uh there's there uh, are a few top reasons one is that the couple uh are not a good regulatory team They're not able to co-manage uh, uh, painful states. Uh, they're not able to co-manage distress states in such a way that they're able to swiftly deal with distress and take it off the table. Um, and that will so eventually... So what would co-managing be, for example? 
Well, when either are in distress or the couple is in in conflict, that they know how to manage each other properly. They know how to calm and soothe each other properly. They know how to uh, how to, to resolve or at least deal with distress um, quickly so it doesn't go into long-term memory or it doesn't accrue threat. And that is actually the, one of the biggest problems, that you and I keep doing things to misunderstand each other, uh, to hurt each other, and we don't repair it. And this then builds into a, a, into a biological threat system whereby we start to see each other eventually as predators. And so that's one cause. The other is that uh, partners uh, do not explicitly come up with uh, uh, shared principles of governance, how they're going to govern each other and everybody else. And they don't actually look and see where they agree and what is most important. And they fly by the seat of their pants. And when the first um, big wind or wave comes, they uh, come crashing down because they're not structured properly. Uh, so words, how would they decide the structure? Are you suggesting they should sit down and create Ten Commandments for something like this, or sure. what are you suggesting? Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's let's say uh, let's say I, I said to you, I believe um, uh, I believe in Thou shalt not kill, and you say, Well, I mostly believe in it, but sometimes I think I have to. Well, that could be a deal breaker because I don't know if I'm going to be safe. Um, or I say, um, uh, you say, Well, you know, I think we should be fully transparent and tell each other everything. I think that's the best way to do business. And I say to you, Well, I don't think so because I think we should have our secrets. Well, that could be a deal breaker, and. A lot of people dismiss or ignore these things, and then they get into trouble because they fundamentally disagree. Um, people uh, often go ahead, even though there are deal breakers, uh, like I want children. I've always wanted children, and you never wanted children. And we look at each other. We look at the abyss that is the end of our relationship, and one of us says, let's buy a house. And so right. we go ahead anyway. And that's like a cancer cell that's going to met- uh, metastasize. And so – Uh, uh, there are all sorts of reasons uh, why people don't stay together, but these are two, I think, of the biggest. And the other one is uh, something we call the mismanagement of thirds, and that is where people don't understand the primacy of a primary attachment relationship. And they uh, they habitually let third things, third people, third uh, tasks in to steal resources from the couple system, relegating one partner to third will, and that usually results in disillusion. Now, obviously, there is no owner manual for a happy relationship. So going back, for example, to what you said about uh, you know, knowing how to uh, identify the deal breakers, is yeah. there in your book anything that you suggest a questionnaire a couple should go through? Or how do people find deal breakers? By talking, by actually thinking about the future, by not assuming that they are on the same page. Um, people are rarely on the same page, actually, if ever. Um, you know, we have separate minds and we only approximate each other's minds. Uh, so really nailing this down, what do we really believe in? Um, and it has to be something that I can argue is not only good for me, but good for you. It has to serve a personal and mutual good. Otherwise, go no further. So, uh, but this is what adults would do. Um, they would talk about what their beliefs are. Um, why do you want to be monogamous? You don't have to be monogamous. Why be polyamorous? What's the point? Um, as long as people can agree and they can argue why it's good for both people to do, then great. 
um, you could want to sleep with goats and, uh, and I want to sleep with goats. And we both agree as long as the goats are of age and, um, and we're fine. <laughs> we're fine. But, um, but what if they agree to disagree? <laughs> Well, you, you can you can agree to disagree on politics. You can agree to disagree on which car to buy, but you're not going to um, uh, get very far if you agree to disagree on such things as the relationship comes first, um, as opposed to work comes first. If we're different in that regard, then we're going to, uh, we're going to run into trouble because we're going to make decisions based on our priorities. And uh, and then we'll fight about nonsense because on the big ticket items, we fundamentally disagree and we went ahead anyway. Mm. Very interesting. Well, we have to take a break, but uh, I have more questions about that, uh, especially a question about uh, the notion that we should accept our partner exactly for who or he <laughs> or she is. And also then, how do we not run into complete codependency and is codependency even a problem? So when we come back, we will address all those questions and more. Stay tuned. Powerful insight and practical tools to support you on your spiritual journey. Access your higher self and tune in every second and fourth Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific to A Life Untethered with Andrew Martin, walking the path of freedom. Andrew is a highly attuned intuitive oracle, energy worker, spiritual teacher, and international radio host. For more about Andrew and his services, visit thelightedones.com. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Stephan each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit JenRoyster.com for more information. Transformation Talk Radio is dedicated to the education and awareness of Lyme disease. Welcome to Lyme Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Pat Basile, the host of the Dr. Pat Show, and I am so thrilled that we've created this venue for all of you out there. Dr. Pat Basile will be bringing the most innovative, groundbreaking information, research, treatment innovations, and stories from those it affects every day. What we have heard is that you want to ensure for us that we keep positive, holistic, uplifting, transformative talk radio on the air. We're excited to bring you the contemporary conversations about Lyme disease. We promise not to let the light fade on Lyme. So fasten your seat belts. We've got lots more to share with you in the weeks to come. Tune into Lyme Talk Radio with Dr. Pat and help keep our mission strong on TransformationTalkRadio.com. 
Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. We are today Wired for Love, and my special guest is Dr. Stan Tetkin. And uh, we talked about before how to identify deal breakers and uh, also how to not run into the potential problem of a codependency and uh, feeling like that basically without your partner, you know, you cannot really survive. Now, before I ask this question, I want to ask you one other question that just came to mind. And before I forget, I better ask you right now. Now, let's assume there is a situation that I know that you're also an expert on dating. You're dating someone and you are, you know, really smitten. And the other person seemed to be also really uh, infatuated and uh, all seems to go well. But after a few weeks or maybe a couple of months, you notice that that person is not really ready for a committed relationship. There is always this wonderful time together, but as soon as, let's say, he is gone, he never calls back. And uh, it takes a while, and then, you know, I was busy or I was, you know, just uh, figuring out my own stuff. And then you agree again to come together. It feels like heaven. And the same thing goes over and over again. Now, at what point do you feel like you just have to accept the person for who he or she is? And at what point do you have to say, well, you know, I want something different? How do, how do you distinguish that? Because we often hear like, well, true love is just unconditional and accepting. Uh, that's bullshit. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. uh, tr- true love is, uh, is, uh, is imaginative and uh, fantasy. Uh, true love is... Is uh, is when we are on, on the endogenous drugs that nature puts us on, where we are one with each other, and uh, perfection uh, is uh, at the uh, you know is at the foreground, and then uh, the drugs wear off, and we start to see who we're with, and it takes about a year to really get to know somebody. Um, it, it is a, a, sometimes I think uh, it could feel discouraging that relationships uh, take a trajectory that you have to go through. You can't really. Uh, do this, uh, you know, within three months, two months, uh, because time is a factor here. So, um, we, you know, we get jettisoned into relationships because of, you know, uh, all the drugs that we're on. When we meet each other, we get excited. The novelty, the brain is completely lit up. We're on phenylethylamine, uh, testosterone, all these, you know, dopamine, noradrenaline, all these great drugs that override our personality. But then we start to see who we're with, and we start to see that there are things about the other person that make us feel unsafe or insecure. Mm -hmm. And if that person, or us actually, uh, if either of us are not willing or able to shore that up, it's probably not going to work out. And so some people actually continue 
despite the fact that the relationship is improper. It's not appropriate. We don't agree. It's not the right one. And that's where we get into codependency, which is basically a one direction deal. Codependency is based on the AA tradition of co-alcoholism. And what it really means is that I overfocus on you but I don't expect reciprocity. I'm angry that there isn't, but I don't demand it, and therefore it's one direction only. Um, but true interdependency is uh, is uh, uh, more egalitarian. Um, we uh, do these things for each other. We uh, expect things from each other. We do certain things uh, that we both agree on. They're not unreasonable, and they're uh, like I said, they're good for me and you. They don't just serve a, a personal good. Um, because that becomes too unfair. So there is no way to be sure in the beginning. There is a better way of dating, and that is to relax yourself and really, really Sherlock the other person, start to learn how to pay really close attention to details, to the person's face, their movements, their eyes. Um, uh, it is a kind of outside meditation where all your attention goes on noticing and being interested in the other person. Therefore, you know, dating then becomes more of a practice of learning how to deal with people and not necessarily, um, you know, spending all your time trying to find the right one. Uh, it's a practice. Now, if someone is not ready for a commitment and the other person is more than ready for a commitment, is that a deal breaker? Yeah. Uh, it is because uh, if one person isn't ready, if the other person is, there's going to be increasing pressure as time goes on because um, individuals like couples are always moving towards complexity. They're, uh, they're not staying still. They're always moving forward. And so uh, what is good today is, is not going to be good tomorrow because there's more expectation. Uh, there's uh, wanting to move forward in some direction. And so that's going to cause problems. However, there have been many people, myself included, uh, who uh, have felt unready with a partner who is ready, and that person uh, pushes the other one along, and, um, and it, it works out yay, um, and that's quite fine. But if the other person is really dug in and doesn't prefer the, uh, the, uh, the future that the other person does, then that will be a problem. So I think there, there is a certain point one has to cut bait and, um, and envision not the person that they want to be with, but the relationship they want to be in. What should the relationship be? Mm -hmm. um, how, how should it be built? Uh, and what principles should it be built on? And that's a better way to vet people, I think. Um, is this person willing to do what I would like to do? Or does, uh, do we fundamentally disagree? And that's hard because once we get attached to somebody, breaking up is really, really hard to do. But there are worse things than losing each other. And that is having a miserable future. Uh, and that's where I come in. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have any tips on how to let go of someone? Something that didn't work out oh. really Oh golly! Um, how do you, I mean, how maybe do you, if you have some experience in that? <laughs> how, how do you do with with uh, with something that is uh, that for many people uh, over over uh, the history of civilization um, has killed people? Um, broken heart syndrome is a cardi mm -hmm. uh, cardiomyopathy. So how to get over someone or how to deal with the loss of someone? Um, uh, the the only thing I can say is that uh, th life is filled with loss. 
there is no decision without loss. And those of us who are trying to bend reality to avoid loss are going to have a worse future than simply dealing with grief. So uh, there is no good option here. Um, but there is the understanding that I am going to give you up for a higher principle because I have a healthy self-entitlement that I deserve this kind of relationship. Of course, it's uh, hopefully that ideal is a reasonable one. But uh, but that is what I'm looking for. And uh, and therefore, I'm giving you up for that, sadly. And uh, but I expect that. Um, whereas I, um, I'm afraid I can't find anybody else. You're the only person who will ever want me. Um, uh, I'll never find anything like you again. And therefore, I'm willing to trade on what I think the relationship should be for fear of loss. And that will be another kind of agony. But to be sure, we are meant to, to feel terrible when we break up with someone. We're meant to grieve. We're meant to feel uh, that um, that is dead because relationships, all relationships are like a fingerprint. They're unique, phenomenological, never can be recreated again with another person. That will be a different relationship. And these are just the realities of, of life. Um, now, easier to say than to do. Um, uh, you know, I have lost and I would say probably of all of my losses, uh, my failed marriage uh, before Tracy was probably the most devastating and traumatic for me, even more than my parents who I loved. So I, I'm not making light of this. But I also know, uh, having worked with couples for so many years and seen so many of there are worse things than that. And that is, again, continuing a terrible future and uh, having your kids see um uh, a relationship that is loveless or where we're not able to manage each other, we're not good at this, they're going to take that into the future as well. And uh, and that's how they're going to understand relationships. So there's a lot at stake here in the, in the future. Again, hard to do. Right. And I think grief is something that needs time, of course. But uh, yeah. what you just mentioned about codependency is also something that uh, is important to keep in mind. If you do make too many sacrifices and are willing just to basically off-write what is important to you. Uh, and I think a lot of people do that constantly, yeah. that they just simply accommodate whatever the other person wants without really voicing their own needs. And uh, and that's, uh, you know, it's, it's a definition of codependency that I think is important to keep in mind. Now, once you notice that, no, you're in it. You feel like, oh my God, I'm just making just all these concessions here and I'm never really asking for what I need. How do you turn it around? Well, Friedman, th this is the thing with couples that is so common. Um, let's say let's say one one partner uh, keeps uh, complying and relenting and giving in, uh, and the other partner is gladly taking advantage of that. They're both being foolish. Uh, the partner who takes advantage of that is uh, is actually going to pay for everything that, that they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, there is no bad deed that goes unreturned, and mm -hmm. uh, and that will pay back in, in spades. And the person that is going along with it is also making a foolish mistake mm -hmm. because they're signaling to their partner that they're not strong enough to stand up to them. Partners mm -hmm. want the other person to uh, not only parent them because we parenting doesn't end with parenting, but to stand strong and to set limits and to say, no, you can't do that. That is um, what makes people feel safe and secure. So the partner that folds is actually uh, showing their other partner that they're not uh, going to be there. They're not showing up. And they also, of course, um, uh, show that they have no uh, leverage at all. 
And a person with no leverage can't really manage their partner. Um, and, and that has to be there. Mutually assured survival and thriving and mutually assured destruction. So is there hope then? Is there a way for them to find an agreement? Or at that point, it's basically time to quit? <clears throat> There's always hope. I'm, uh, I'm very optimistic about relationships. Uh, and after doing this for a long time, I also know there are no angels, no devils. Uh, where there's one, there's the other. These are birds of a feather. They go together, uh, absolutely. So in that case, the person who has not been holding up their end of the bargain by standing strong and saying, no, you can't, they're the ones that actually has to, they have to actually show up first. The other person isn't expected to change unless they have to. And so uh, this is like parenting, right? Uh, you continue to uh, give in to your children. They begin to know there is no God. Nobody is looking out for me. Uh, my parents are weak, and I've lost respect for them. Um, it's the parent that says, uh, no, and I know what you're up to, and no, you can't. Uh, that's final, and if you do that, this will happen. Uh, that's strength, and that is security. And that partner, the partner who is uh, who is putting loss ahead of principles, is going to have to uh, shift uh, their position in order for the other one to start to change. Do you feel it's important for a relationship to uh, have, um, you know, once in a while just uh, a powwow to sit down? So where are we? You know, we are going on this journey together and uh, maybe we have lost touch because of the kids or maybe we are not really following through with agreements anymore. And how important is that just to to get really a frame of reference again of the state of the relationship? I think it's really important because I see uh, I see partnerships as leaders. They're leaders of everybody. Everyone's following them, mm-hmm. and so if they're not uh, checking in with each other, if they're not um, uh, clarifying where they're headed and what they want and what they're doing, then they're doing themselves and everyone around them, including their children, a disservice. So that is the problem of all human beings. We go automatically. Um, we stop. Uh, doing things that we used to do, such as uh, paying attention and being present and being curious, because we've automated each other like we've automated bike riding. And so we don't think we should or have to. And then it comes to uh, bite us. Um, and so any kind of consciousness, any kind of attention and presence that happens uh, at any point throughout a week is really important. Otherwise, people are just sleepwalking through uh, uh, uh Uh, through their lives, and they're not really taking care of business. And the other thing is that they're going to start to drift from each other. Um, yeah. uh, you know, this business of, of automation, which is a natural thing the brain does, is uh, can only be reversed or, or, or mitigated by attention and presence. There is no other uh, solution to it. And unfortunately, um, we uh, assume quite a bit. Uh, we think we know each other. Um, we think we know things. We think we're understanding each other. And by the way, human communication, even on a good day, is terrible. We're mostly misunderstanding each other much of the time. And um, and yet we we uh, are um, fine to just let things ride until something terrible happens. So maintenance is everything, staying in touch with each other uh, and being girlfriend and boyfriend forever or girlfriend and girlfriend and boyfriend and boyfriend. That's the engine that drives this thing. Not not mother, father, or husband, wife. Uh, Meaning, like having some kind of a romance still lit up in the relationship and paying attention to each other. And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Now, Absolutely. one of the things that you probably also see in your practice quite a bit is that people stop communicating because they are afraid of getting into a conflict, into a fight. So it's this classic avoidance behavior because, as you write in your book, we don't necessarily know how to fight. And you have uh, wrote yeah. all, you have written a whole chapter about that. So tell us, what is a good fight? Well, first of all, conflict avoidance in, it, in and of itself is threatening. Um, people who, who have grown up this way and are basically conflict avoidant are going to appear threatening to their partner because uh, they're not engaging with them. They're basically saying that uh, only things uh, that are good can be discussed. If it's anything that's negative or about me, uh, you know, uh, I'm leaving. And so that is going to be a problem right there. Uh, right. The other thing is that partners have to understand that they have to be face-to-face, eye-to-eye, in relatively close uh, proximity in order to regulate each other. We have a visual brain, and we cannot be side-to-side or on the phone or in text. We have to actually be in close proximity, keep our eyes up, and then uh, and then take care of ourselves and our partner at the same time. I take care of you and me at the same time. That means I never let you think I'm only presenting my stand my interests, my concerns without acknowledging and protecting yours. If I don't do that, if I only stand up for what I am wanting, then uh, we're going to square off the adversarial and we will both lose. So this is sort of the, uh, you know, human relationships 101. Great negotiators know this, that you have to, to get anything, you have to take your partner's interests in mind at the same time of your own. And if you don't actually let your partner know that you're doing that, you get what you pay for. They're going to fight. And also we have to understand that we're animals and our brains are tilted more toward war than love. And if we're not being friendly with our partners, especially when we're being, uh, when there's conflict, then we risk uh, 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 building up our arousal to the point where we become fully automatic and we shoot first and ask questions later. So uh, these are basic human conditions. It's the uh, perfect and perfectness of human things. Uh, this, this is everybody, by the way. And people have to learn this skill. Otherwise, uh, they really will get nothing. Well, let's be concrete. So a couple, for example, let's say he is uh, working from home and uh, she's just uh, minding her own business, reading a book, <laughs> and he has a tendency to barge in and say, can you do this phone call for me? Or can you do uh, this, run this errand for me? And uh, and she may feel that always her boundaries are infringed upon. She may feel that there is always an expectation she has to fulfill. And so she doesn't say anything because she knows that if she says something, he gets upset, he gets uh, feels hurt, he's very sensitive, and then it would just blow up. But in the meantime, she gets more and more frustrated. Now, what would be a, a way for her to express herself so that her needs and his needs are at the same time put into consideration. Honey, honey, I know you want this done right now in the middle of something you're going to have to wait. Honey, I, I know that this seems urgent to you, uh, uh, but sit down and wait for me and we'll talk. Um, honey, uh, uh, you're bugging me. Get out of here. Um, honey, you know, I mean, there's so many things that somebody can do depending on their sense of humor and their friendliness. Um, but, but here is where the, this come, the, the uh, uh, psychobiology comes in, is that partners are in each other, uh, other's care, not their own in a couple relationship, at least 
from a psychobiological point of view. The partner that's barging in needs to know that their partner uh, is, has historically been sensitive to interruption. They don't shift well from, uh, being, uh, from uh, being alone to interacting. And they always assume when someone uh, comes forward uh, that it's for them and never for themselves. In other words, they're, they're used to being used as tools. And if that partner does not pay attention uh, to that. They, they don't know their partner well enough. They're not anticipating them. That is the big problem. Just like the, uh, in other words, they both have a responsibility to, uh, to be experts on each other, to predict each other, to know exactly how to approach, how to deal with each other without using fear, threat, or guilt. That is what people are, uh, should be doing. Um, it's kind of like this, Friedman. I, I can say, well, you know, I'm not good at many things, but I'm good at you. This is what we want people to do to take it seriously, that uh, they have to be good at each other. They have to pay attention. They have to uh, know each other in some ways better than they know themselves. Um, they have to be each other's whisperers. And that takes intention and understanding that that is necessary. But most people don't think they should have to do it. Well, and that uh, is also, I think, what's so beautiful about this couple bubble that you describe in the book, which is basically, you know, an agreement on how yes. we want to pursue from, you know, our relationship or isn't that that? Yes. And, um, but along with, along with that um, is the understanding that we're going to do better than our parents did, especially if our parents were terrible, um, that we're, you know, we're going to take the other into mind, not simply ourselves, and that I may, uh, I may like a certain thing or I may um, uh, do well when approached in this way, but you don't. And everything I do is directed to what I know about you, not myself. And in this way, we make life easier. We uh, make life easier by not spending unnecessary resources, by arguing too long. We both uh, try to scurry towards mutual relief as soon as possible. Um, we both want to make sure that we have uh, each other's interests in mind. And we both um, are in charge of steering the ship. And when we're getting too wobbly, one or both of us does something to shift uh, gears, to uh, shift states. Uh, to calm or soothe or to uh, uh, even make the other person laugh so that we can continue uh, uh, interacting without threatening each other. Uh, so are these some people. of those, sorry, are these Go some ahead. of those agreements of the couple bu bubble that you just described? These, uh, you know, where you would say, okay, before we even uh, consider, you know, uh, moving forward, we want to just re- uh, confirm that and in, in your book right you wrote something like uh, i will never leave you i will never frighten you purposely when you're in distress i will relieve you i mean all of those uh, when i read them i thought these are wonderful uh, intentions to have that i don't believe a lot of couples even thought about you know they may agree to it but they may have never really thought about it well, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to wake up and be more conscious and responsible. And it's not just I will, we will. Um, uh, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. The language of morality is should. But uh, the, the, the languaging of, of good uh, social contract theory is this is what we do. This is what we don't do. Um, and, and we can say that to each other because we both drank the Kool-Aid. I believe in this, even though it's a pain in the ass for me right now and I don't feel like it, I do it because I know you're going to have to do the same thing. 
Um, that's the quid pro quo. We both have to do things when we don't feel like, when we don't like each other, because it protects us both. And, uh, and people understand, have to understand that we're animals, that without these agreements, it's the Wild West. We're left to uh, uh, the, uh, the, the tendency for humans to be uh, uh, selfish and, uh, and uh, fickle uh, and moody. And if we simply live that way and don't have uh, agreements that we believe in, then we're going to uh, naturally run into trouble, as all societies will. So uh, we're just talking about people being smart um, and understanding that uh, that making mistakes and being uh, uh, threatening is part of the problem of being a human being, uh, that this automatic brain that we have is always uh, working in a way that makes us do things reflexively, not purposely. Um, and that, uh, that we're basically dumb that way. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we have, we're making so many errors all the time without realizing it. And the hubris of the human being is to think that, um, you know, our communication is correct. Our memory, our perception is the right one. And it's it, actually, it's never true. Um, we've never lived outside of our heads. We never will. We're dealing with another, uh, another mind, another ner- uh, nervous system. And yet we, uh, we often don't, uh, um, uh, remember that and respect it and uh, and um, learn to play well together uh, properly. So a lot of this is education about how the brain works, how humans work, and uh, and then also um, uh, becoming more uh, uh, complex socially, emotionally, so that we're able to get each other to do things with attraction and mm-hmm. not fear, threat, or guilt, which is uh, easy to do. That's what kids do. Um, but well, th- now we're, we're calling for a higher level of consciousness. Well, thank you so much, Stan. I'm sh- this could be a five-hour conversation. There is so much to talk about. <laughs> and, uh, My favorite but ultimately, it's really, you know, that healthy, loving relationships are also the hope for human mankind to make the planet uh, hopefully a, a peaceful and a sustainable place. And uh, so I hope uh, all the listeners got some really valuable insights and also intentions on how to make their relationship better. If you want to know more about um, Dr. Tatkin's work, go to stantatkin.com, all in one word. Again, thank you so much for being on the show today, and I hope we can do this again in the future. May I say really quickly that we also train therapists all over the world. They can go to the pactinstitute.com, and it was a pleasure, Friedemann. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. We will be back on uh, Empowerment Radio in two weeks, so Thank you for joining and have a wonderful week. You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedemann Schaub. Join Dr. Friedemann the first and third Wednesday each month at 11 a.m. Pacific as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. Discover how you can use the power of your mind to overcome stress, anxiety, and overwhelm and create a solid foundation of confidence and self-esteem. Learn cutting-edge tools so that you can approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. To learn more about what Dr. Schaub can do for you, visit the fearandanxietysolution.com.